It's Monday the 27th of June 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this past week, why it happened and why we should care. It's my pleasure to be joined today in the studio by the journalist, translator, musician and all-round genius Jelena Ciric. Welcome to you. Thanks. Thank you for that introduction, Alex. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. This week saw a run of pretty significant stories, including the shooting incident in Hapnafjörður, in which an innocent man and his young son were put in mortal danger. The number of refugees arriving in Iceland this year is unsurprisingly set to be more than double a normal year, thanks to the war in Ukraine. The nation has still been mulling over the spate of new acts passed by Althingi before the summer, including two changes to marriage law to protect children and help abuse victims. After three summers off, whaling is back and the controversy is as big or bigger than ever. Will this be the last hunt? Maybe. In economic news, the price of fuel has dropped slightly and unemployment figures remain rosy. But interest rates are up once again and inflation continues to bite hard. Tourist safety is in the news yet again after a visitor was killed by a forklift truck in an East Iceland harbour area shared by industry and tourism alike. And finally, in two pieces of environmental news, the carbon-binding properties of Icelandic forests are being researched and the sewage of 50,000 people still runs untreated into the sea, despite years of promises and targets. Where would you like to begin? Uh, there are so many different topics. Uh, I think the, the shooting and is something that, that has been in the news quite a lot, and I think uh, it's always good to address that. Yeah. yeah. We... Understandably, when this news broke in the in the middle of last week, people were panicked and, and shocked. And they still are, of course. But it could have been worse. It was not a terror attack for a start. Um, we don't know too much more other than the man was in his 60s, I think. That's right, yeah. At home on his balcony. That's right, yeah. He After the, the shots were fired... At least this is the su- this uh, this is the suspect that we're talking about. So yes, um, has not been mm-hmm. confirmed at this point. Although it seems quite uh, quite uh, likely that it was this man. Uh, police were negotiating with him over the phone while he was at home in his apartment building, where other people were obviously at home in their their apartments as well. So it's not the kind of thing that you uh, expect to see in the news in Iceland or or see often in the news. And uh, there have been. It, it feels like there have been more shooting incidents or incidents involving firearms that have led to injury even mm-hmm. uh, in Iceland lately. So that's definitely something that people are talking about. Yes, that that's the thing. I mean, the man, the suspect in question was remanded in um, protective custody, not police custody. Uh, mm. So that reading between the lines, that probably means mental health issues. Um, and so the story in itself is perhaps isolated incident, something we can put behind us, apart from the fact that, as you say, in the past um, year or two, especially, these sorts of things have been happening more often. That's right. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a trend, like the the perpetrators don't appear to be all from one particular demographic, which is uh, interesting, I suppose. It, it's, it seems difficult to point to a specific cause. Mm. If you look at Iceland's uh, firearm legislation and gun ownership legislation. It's very strict. Uh, But it is the case that in many of these crimes or illegal incidents, the firearms used have not been legally obtained firearms. So uh, I wonder if that's something that the police are looking into, how such firearms are obtained and whether there's something there that can be done so that people that are in in a situation where they might 
feel for whatever reason that uh, shooting a gun would solve their problem. Don't mm-hmm. have access to guns, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, in this case, we know, we know nothing of the weapon apart from the fact that it was big, and the fact that it's big right. probably indicates it might have been a hunting rifle or something, and therefore mm-hmm. could have been legally owned. Um, That's potentially, true. so That's true. it's very different to a sort of a, a, perhaps a gang-related shooting. Um, there was one. The, there was the shooting downtown about six months ago, I think it was, over cr- the February Christmas, New Year, or so. sort of yeah, yeah. very wintry time. Anyway. <laughs> so July. It's all no. a blur. The winter just becomes a blur. And that uh, one yeah. was suspected to have maybe even been 3D printed. That's right. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, actually, if that had been confirmed when I was reading about this. Mm. But I hadn't I hadn't heard any news about that. Uh, yeah. So you can imagine that's something that would be very difficult for the police to control in any way. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, how whether people are you know what people are printing on their 3D printers at at home. Uh, I know that the number of semi-automatic rifles that have been imported to the country has increased drastically, or in in the past couple of years. But also, uh, shooting ranges have spiked in popularity. Uh, perhaps a COVID hobby for a number of people that you know wanted to find a way to get out of the house. So. Uh, I've heard, at least, that that it's become a more popular hobby among young people. So, uh, an increase in imported firearms doesn't also doesn't necessarily mean that that would lead to an increase in crime or that they're being imported for uh, dubious reasons. Because, again, we know that many of the crimes where firearms are involved involve illegally obtained firearms rather than the ones that are that we know of that are being imported legally. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a knotty problem and a big issue, of course. Um, perhaps not a great deal more to say on this particular case, nope. apart from how lucky the victims were. That's right. Yeah, must be very scary for all for all the neighbours and all of that. So unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the guy described his experience and saying that he was covered in glass that shattered in his vehicle, and his six-year-old son was in the car. I mean, awful, awful thing. But they were both okay. So. On that note, maybe we should move on. Anything else stand out to you? Mm, whaling is always a topic that uh, is interesting to discuss. Yes. Uh, yeah. Been uh, there's been a four year hiatus, and and now it's started up again. Mm. Uh, I it seems to me that in addition to maybe you know legal factors or outside factors that. Uh, just market factors have kind of been an influence in, in recent years as to why it hasn't happened. At least that's what Christian Lotzon, the CEO of, of Quadlerd, Hauf, the only company that's actually whaling <laughs> this year, uh, has, has said. He said that COVID was a factor previously and, and just poor market conditions because much of this meat is exported to Japan. So I wonder if, you know, if market conditions... Uh, I wonder, first of all, if they have significantly improved they, this year. They must have if... if they, it's considered profitable to whale, and uh, I wonder, just in the future, whether like how much of a factor that will be in whether or not Iceland continues to to whale. Because the minister of fisheries, Swantis uh, Svavarsdottir, she's she's stated in an op-ed in, in Morgunbladet that there doesn't seem to be much economic incentive for Iceland to whale. So it seems that uh, despite you know activists and and talk of animal rights that when it comes to Icelandic authorities and whalers themselves, that economic factors are kind of weigh very heavily. Mm. It has to be. I mean, yeah, it, indeed. Uh, Christian Lotzen, of course, famously not a poor man. 
Um, you, you can afford to, I suppose, I'm not, this is like, this is what he's best known for, certainly, um, as a proponent of, 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 of whaling. And he is the face of the Icelandic whaling industry. There really aren't any other faces. Um, so he can afford to take some small losses for the sake of doing what he think is, thinks is right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But whether they will extend the licence beyond next year is is another question. Svandis Svavastotis indicates that maybe that won't happen. Um, and then, of course, Christian Lofton argues against there being any negatives to it. The damage to Iceland's reputation overseas is, is doesn't exist, he says. Um, mm. The damage to Iceland's tourism industry doesn't really exist, he says. Um, but then people on the other side of the argument say, no, that that does exist. You'd have to imagine it does, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have to imagine it does, at least. Uh, I mean, maybe you've had the same experience as, as us at Iceland Review when we write stories about when we cover whaling in Iceland. You know, there is negative response for sure. Mm. And there are people that will comment things like, oh, I won't be returning to Iceland until the country stops whaling. On the other hand, tourism <clears throat> seems to be doing just fine. So <laughs> uh, how large that impact is and whether it's something that uh, that impacts the industry, the tourism industry in a significant way, perhaps not, but it's difficult to say. Yeah. I mean, whaling, the, the catch limit, the, the, the proposed quota, which they may or may not even fulfil... Uh, it may be under that, it has been in the past, is sustainable, scientifically speaking. Um, the, the stock has been growing ever since the populations were starting to be counted, counted in the 80s. Um, so what are the arguments against? Briefly, well, there are many. I know there are many. <laughs> I mean, there's the, the animal welfare arguments. Yeah. Um, the actual hunting itself, It's uh, the the company itself has actually for many years failed to submit hunting logs that sort of yeah log what what happens actually on the ships and and some people have argued that the actual hunting of the whales is is not done in a humane manner that they undergo quite a lot of uh, suffering in the process uh, so of course there are those arguments mm. uh, just ecological arguments despite it being perhaps sustainable in this region in terms of fin whales yeah the fin whale population has has increased uh, around Iceland, but I believe so. There, there are the two species that they're allowed to hunt, which are mink whales and fin whales. Uh, the fin whale species has been counted and has increased in this area, but I think overall, globally, they're not necessarily doing as well as they are in this region. So, mm. and even uh, in this region, they're still well below um, pre-hunting levels because uh, the, obviously the right, population's yeah. crashed. And I think mink whales are defined as vulnerable, uh, globally speaking. So, so I mean, you've got these environmental arguments as well. Uh, I read an interesting article recently that was talking about how much how much uh, carbon whales capture and offset. Have you seen this as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That like uh, basically, I'm gonna I'm putting this in air quotes, but planting a whale is much more effective than planting a tree. Mm. <laughs> or quite a large section of forest in terms of the amount of carbon that they sort of uh, sequester from the environment. So uh, just in terms of, I guess, what they eat and how they act in their own 
uh, environment and ecosystem. So, and what they release, what they release, <laughs> is, is really important. And when yeah. they die of natural causes, mm-hmm. they take they... all of that carbon down to the sea floor rather than it, uh, you know, being released up into the atmosphere. So, and they become ecosystems themselves for for many years. It's yeah, it's true. And then there have been these stories about lack of market for Icelandic whale meat, and it goes to Japan, and some of it has been made into cat food. Even I because there's no, because <laughs> there doesn't seem to be market for it. Yeah, yeah. I've always wondered uh, in these recent years because we haven't had whaling here for four years, uh, and yet whale is still on restaurant menus. So, well, one, one goes a long way. Yeah, well, I suppose so. Yeah, but one wonders. Okay, has that uh, whale meat that's being served today has it been frozen for three years? Or, <laughs> well, during the, the the very extended period when Iceland didn't catch any whales at all, um, in the 90s and the early 2000s, I think, something like that. Um, there was still whale on restaurant menus, and some of that had been in deep freeze for 17 years. So, yes, I think <laughs> is the answer. Um, yeah. From a f- food safety perspective, I'm sure that's fine, you know, industrial sure. deep freezer. But, uh, yeah, that's... Yes. Okay, anything, anything <laughs> else to add on this topic? I mean, it's... I think it's we've a, covered quite a, quite a wide... Uh, it is yeah, a huge topic. And I think bottom line, really, is if it was just economic considerations, it would have stopped a long time ago. But mm. a section of the Icelandic population hates being told what to do by other countries. I think a section of every population does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we've done this for hundreds of years and you can't tell us to stop. And the more you do tell us to stop, the more we'll do it. Mm. And maybe if... It's not going to happen, but maybe if the rest of the world had said, oh, whatever, get on with it. Maybe if Christian Lotzen were just left alone. Yes. He would stop of his own accord. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yes, it it may very well be the last hunt this year. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, next topic. What topic would you like to discuss next? Me? Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, the marriage ones were interesting. I know it's, it's actually more than a week old, technically, this because it was before I think he dissolved for the summer, but it was discussed in the news last week. Um, a change in the law to allow abuse victims to petition for divorce without the usual procedures of... What was it? They, they have to go through a period of... Mediation. And separation yep. before a divorce can right. happen. And agreement from both parties as well, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and this will circumvent all of that. It seems positive. On the face of things? Seems quite positive. I think like with any law, we'll, we'll have to see uh, how it plays out in in reality, uh, whether it is effective. There have been some, some voices that have stated that, that, well, victims will still need to prove that there was some sort of abuse occurring, and that could be difficult. Mm. Um, obviously, there are, there are obstacles to that. Uh, so we'll see whether or not the changes are, are as positive as, as they seem, whether it, it is effective. Mm. Uh, there was also there was also another amendment that, that was reported on just over the weekend concerning victims' legal status uh, in cases of sexual assault, which was also basically improved somewhat, uh, whereas previously in the Icelandic legal system, Victims of sexual assault were essentially considered witnesses in their own case, which meant that they had limited access to information on how the case was proceeding, how an investigation was proceeding from police, Mm. and they couldn't even be present in the actual court proceedings um, because they didn't have the status of a party in the case. So 
that's now been changed where victims have more easy access to the information on their case proceedings instead of just being at home and waiting and waiting to hear some like a result, you know, many, maybe many months, months later, uh, they can actually, you know, contact the police and get information and see how the case is going and, and then be present for the case proceedings. So uh, I think it's very positive those things are being addressed uh, because in recent years there has been a lot of uh, sort of criticism of the Icelandic legal system mm. that it was not as advanced as in other Nordic countries in terms of the rights of, of victims of sexual assault. So, And was, was that exclusive to sexual assault victims? Was it, for example, if you've been the victim of a theft or perhaps an attempted murder or something, did, were you able then to to go to court and, and to ask the police the questions? Or, or was that the same situation? Do you know? I'm not sure. I think from what I've heard in the news, actually, it uh, and uh, from what I've seen, I believe that the status of sexual assault victims was different. It differed from mm. the status of general um, other types of crime, because I believe if you're if you re- if you report uh, and press charges on a crime like theft, then you are the the sort of active party in your case, as opposed to just just the victim. Because it, it's sort of the prosecuting authority and the state authority that takes over cases of sexual assault. Right. Yes, that's positive. Um, hopefully that will make a difference because, like you say, there has been a huge amount of criticism of, of the legal system, specifically in abuse and sexual assault cases um, and how it does not always seem to have the victim's best interests at heart. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. The other marriage story was... Um, the removal of provisions that allow 16 and 17 year olds to get married with special exemptions from the justice ministry um again positive i think but also not very not very much used luckily i think there was like yeah. 18 cases in the past yeah. 24 years that's right and i think it's interesting looking at the demographics of those cases that in the vast majority it was uh, women who were like, female partners who were the younger partner uh, in the relationship, and it's yeah, honestly, I, I it seems to me like a very positive story. I, I find it difficult to uh, to think of something that could be negative in this in this particular case. Mm. Yeah, I suppose in essence, the the law was the way it was mm-hmm. for perhaps religious reasons. If someone got pregnant and needed mm. to get married very quickly and I think maybe society has changed in that time and maybe it's not such a big issue maybe very much I mean the majority of children in Iceland are born in relationships in a, out of wedlock basically so yeah. so it does not seem to be as as much a social concern that a couple needs to be married mm. uh, in order to have children yeah you mentioned the the gender balance there I believe one of those 18 people was a boy, a, a, a young man, and he was marrying a girl who was aged 18. And that was it. And then the others were all girls, some of them marrying people up to their 30s. So on the face of it, again, th- it looks like that's just very, very good news that this is not possible anymore. It certainly does. Yeah. I mean, the legal drinking age in Iceland is 19. Imagine getting married at 16. Isn't it 20? Or Sorry, 20. It's 20, yeah. Uh, so imagine getting married at 16 and you've got to wait four years to have a glass of champagne to celebrate. Yeah. Seems a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> Seems Indeed. a little bit silly. It but. does. Um, okay, so that was that was my choice. Do you have another choice? 
of a topic? Uh, let's see. What were the topics that we haven't covered yet? Well, the economy is huge. <laughs> um, the the tourist who unfortunately died That's right. in, in the east. Uh, there's the sewage, forestry, carbon. That's uh, right. We talked a little bit about, about whales <laughs> and carbon. Uh, yeah, why don't we talk about the economy a little bit? It's yes. Like a huge topic. It's on everybody's lips at the moment. It's, yeah, it's inflation kind of a, and so on. Yeah, inflation. Now... There was an interesting story I read yesterday. We haven't covered it yet on Ruv English, but I read it yesterday. Um, that the Icelandic Central Bank has put up interest rates a lot and more than any other in, in Northern Europe. And yet our inflation rate isn't the highest by some way. Um, just an observation. Do you have any opinions? <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh, I've been trying to read as much as I can about <laughs> monetary policy and so on because it's such a huge topic now in, in the news. And uh, so this last hike, which happened last week, uh, has brought the the base interest rate of the central bank higher than it was prior to COVID. Mm. So that's right. Five so, years ago, I yeah, think it was, yeah, shortly mm. before COVID. Actually, when this governor took over, I I believe that he actually started this sort of interest rate lowering campaign a little bit, and then of course, you know, the fall of Wow Air and. Uh, certain and you know the p- pandemic recession they were all reasons that uh, you know the central bank wanted to lower interest rates and and therefore somewhat stimulate the economy and now you know we're trying to get back out of that recession and uh, trying to prevent the economy from overheating so the rates are being raised again and now this last rise of a, of an entire percentage point which is quite a significant rise. Has, Second in a row. Yeah, mm. that's right. Has brought the rate to 4.75%. And that's higher than it was in, I believe, March 2020. It was 45 or something like that. So it is very significant. It's, uh, there are, there are, there seem to be many causes of inflation. I'm not a financial expert, but in this particular case, uh, you know, we've both got global causes like rising oil prices and uh, slowed production due to the pandemic that, you know, is taking time to ramp up again. And uh, you know, some have argued that the lowered rates that the central bank lowered, you know, caused some level of inflation. Uh, we know that just historically that lowered rates are a driver of inflation uh, because it causes people to, you know, buy property and so on uh, to take more loans. And obviously as well, pumping money into the economy like we did during the COVID recession to try to keep things going. Uh, that's also a driver of inflation. So you know, it's it's very difficult. It's easy to kind of look back, maybe, and say, "Oh, we shouldn't have lowered rates so much." Uh, mm. But uh, you know, we're always kind of reacting to the information we have at the time. So, so it's difficult. Uh, I'm trying to roll that back now. Um, yes, higher interest rates serve to dampen demand for credit, on paper at least, and to 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 sort of slow down the housing market. Um, but that only works if there's enough provision of housing. At the moment, there's such a shortage and so many people are looking for homes that it seems like they're just paying the higher rates and and continuing regardless, um, which is a problem. It has seemed like that for years in Iceland, hasn't it? That uh, I think, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, people uh, were griping about how difficult it was to maybe get on the housing market, uh, buy your first home, and it seems that since then it's only gotten more difficult. So it's a question 
the question is what what will it take mm. <laughs> for for people to kind of stop buying because we saw record rates of first time buyers during covid during the recession and that was you know not even at the at the lowest point of interest rates that was before you know and they continued to to drop after that so mm. so it really is a question what will when will people i mean people will always need housing so they'll do what they can to to obtain it yeah i mean iceland has traditionally been a very high inflation society country um, and it had high interest rates as a result of that to try and keep it under control often unsuccessfully but since the banking crisis during the 2010s to 2020 period it was really brought under control and the central bank proclaimed a, a low inflation era and that the the old boom and bust economy was perhaps behind us a little bit and who knows maybe they were right but covid and the war in ukraine among other things have pushed them as far out of their comfort zone as possible along with every other country it has to be said that's right yeah we have to say that i mean inflation rates are are high globally right now uh, they're high in countries with left-leaning governments they're high in countries with right-leaning governments they're high in countries that pumped a lot of money into the economy during covid and in countries that haven't so mm. uh, it really i guess if you look at it globally you know iceland is 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 doing fairly well all things considered so yeah and then of course inflation yes um is a huge economic indicator but then so is the unemployment rate and that continues to drop um it's it's now at its lowest rate since since i don't know i haven't got it open <laughs> since before covid certainly uh 3.8% i think in that region and still going down with a, a forecast that it will continue to go down throughout the summer. Um, so it's not all bad news. It's just a question of people definitely being able to afford things with their wages, which right. is not a given at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation as far as that's concerned. And and I mean, as we've been, been discussing, there are factors that the central bank or the government here can control. And, and the government has also introduced some anti-inflation measures. Uh, but... There are many factors that Iceland cannot control, <laughs> global factors that are going to impact the price of of oil and the price of goods and, and so on. So um, it's always a question of, you know, what can we do locally to try to mitigate that impact on, on the average person? Mm. And I think if if the, uh, the current uh, collective bargaining agreements on which employment contracts are based, if they had been made a year later and they had one more year to run, I think everyone would think that was a relief. As it is, they're up for renegotiation this autumn and the unions are going to be pushing hard for for big raises to compensate for this inflation. Uh, The central bank says that's a really bad idea because it fuels inflation. Employers are going to say it's a really bad idea because they're under such financial pressure because of the global situation. Uh, and the government, I don't even know where the, where the government is sitting on all of this. But it's, I, I can predict it's going to be tough, tough negotiations. And yeah, I think the government, yeah, that is an interesting question because uh, the government did step in in these last contracts just a, a few years ago, just uh, when employers were sort of... St- stated they were struggling and it was difficult to keep up with these demands and the government did step in and sort of uh, help ease the situation. So uh, I think that the government will definitely play a role 
in these upcoming negotiations, maybe a larger role than in than in more uh, calm economic times. So, mm. so uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what that role will be. It was spring 2019, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And they, the government were involved in those negotiations like never before, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was a precedent and their, their, their seat at the table is probably here to stay now, probably. Yeah, that could be. That could be. It'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens in, in the fall. Yeah. And if you ask me, it's a, probably a good thing because people's quality of life is more than just about how much they have in their pocket. It's about the whole way society is set up and the government can do a lot of things uh, for over and above just pay rises and yeah and of course more pay rises means more inflation so we can't just do that that's right i mean they can determine what sorts of things those wages need to go toward and what what kinds of things can maybe be made easier or 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 cheaper through some sort of government intervention Mm. so which sort of taxes could be lowered which sort of benefits and and perks could be increased and where and how it works out there's i guess a thousand things they can do it just makes sense for them to have a a large seat at the table for sure yeah well on that note i think we can call it a day because we are out of time uh the week in iceland will be back with you though next week on monday the 4th of july on roof.is forward slash english roof english on facebook through the roof app and your favorite podcast platform that just leads me to thank my guest today, Jelena Chiric. Thank you. Thank you. And also Lydia Gretestotir for running the studio. We end today's programme with a song from last year by Inki Bauer. This is Tilpaka. Bye for now. i